If you stopped at Zechariah, you haven't gone far enough, right? And we're going to look at chapter 2. We're going to look at the first nine verses of chapter 2. And I've titled this message, The Lord's Discipline. You know, and I, I chewed on this word for a while. And chewed just simply means I thought on it for a while, right? So when I say that, it's what I meant. Uh, I chewed on this word for a little while. And what is the best word? And, and as we look at this passage, and if you remember from last week, uh, as we've been, been working through Malachi, you know, the... the Really, verse 6 through the end of, of verse 9 of this chapter, uh, the Lord has been focusing on the priests and what the priests have been doing. And last week, we, we kind of revealed that they've been uh, just kind of completely, to say it's, you know, nicely, I guess, missing it, right? Missing the whole point. They're going through the motions. Their heart is far from the Lord. They're just going through it. And they don't know why the Lord is displeased with them, right? They kind of have that mentality, and they pose these questions, right? In what way have we despised you? In what way have we defiled you? And it goes through this, and the Lord is making these accusations against the priests. And, and so it's important for us to realize that uh, as the priest goes, definitely in this passage, right, in the Old Testament, the nation was going. Uh, there was repercussions for, for their failing to teach. And then the passage we'll look at today speaks directly to that, how they were teaching the law, and there were those who were stumbling. And so I use this word discipline because, you know, as a New Testament church, I'm looking at this and going, how do we, how do we learn? How do we apply what is happening here? How do, what do we understand about God and His grace, His mercy for us? And how do we understand those things as we move forward? And what are things that we can learn uh, and apply? And so I use this word discipline, and I mean it in a positive way, right? It's a positive word. It's a good word, Right? Sometimes we hear the word discipline and people are like, no, that's not, that's not good. But we know the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. Uh, the parent loves their children. They use discipline. The child may think this is not the, the right way to go about it. I remember in, in Oklahoma, a family sharing with me one time that as the, the child was acting up in the church and, and the father was going to take him outside and he had done something that was worthy of a spanking. And so he's going outside. The child said, Father, can we, can we stop and pray about this? <laughs> to which the father said yes we can son let's pray right and then followed through with discipline right um, sometimes we feel like that right let me let's just pray about this but when we come to scripture when God is is, is giving us warnings and insights of his word we really need to pay attention I think it's easy for us to to kind of get off track and to, and to maybe pursue things our own way I came across this quote from A.W. Tozer and he says we must face the fact that many today are notoriously careless in their living. He says, this attitude finds its way into the church. We have liberty. We have money. We live in comparative luxury. As a result, discipline right, practically has disappeared. What would a violin solo sound like if the strings of the musician's instrument were all hanging loose, not stretched tight, not disciplined? So we see the importance of this, and of course I think you'd all agree with me saying, yeah, it is important that we come and we hear the warning of God and we, and we heed His discipline. And last week I talked about you know, heeding the Lord's rebuke, and in this passage continues on in the context of, of what has been happening. And he's focusing on the priests and what they're doing, but the nation is suffering because of it. And I believe as we go through this, you'll see some parallels in what's happening in the church today. So this is Malachi chapter 2. I'll read verses 1 through 9. It says, And now, O priests, right? He's telling the priests, this commandment is for you. If you will not hear and if you will not take it to heart to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, 
I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have cursed them already, because you do not take it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your descendants. I will spread refuse on your faces and refuse, or excuse me, and refuse on your solemn feasts, and one will take you away with it. Then you shall know I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him, one of life and peace, and I gave them to him that he might fear me. So he feared me. And was reverent before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth, and injustice was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity, and turned many away from inequity. For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge, and people should seek the law from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But, here's our contrast, you have departed from the way. You have cursed many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, I also have made you contemptible and base before all the people, because you have not kept my ways, but have shown partiality in the law. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you once again for this time. And I ask God that, Lord, as we look to your word, that you allow your spirit to open our eyes, that we would see and understand, we would comprehend and apply the truth of your word to our life. Guide us with that, Lord, and I pray, as always, allow me to be taken out of the way, that every life and thought would be fixed upon you and upon your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are in this context, and if you remember from last week, I had you know, three points about dealing with, the, God was dealing with the, the priest, you know, what are some things that we can take away and say, what should be happening in our lives? If this is what's happening here, what are some things that we should be aware of? And so I had mentioned about uh, revering his name. We see that throughout the text. We even see it again in this, the text we read this morning, right? That, that Levi feared my name. He reverenced me, right? He had reverence for me. And so we see that in our life, we can take assessment and say, am I revering his name, right? Is there something where I come and, and, and have a, an awe of who he is? God says, you know, if uh, in verse 14 of, of chapter 1, he says, uh, For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations, right? He will be known. We will worship the king or the rocks will cry out, right? And we understand that. He is to be known. We must revere his name. And my second point was we must um, seek his favor, right? Check our heart and our motives for why we do what we do. The priests were simply going through the motions, right? If you remember, they were using animals that weren't good for anything else, right? It's not good. I can't sell them. They're not good for anything else, so I'll just take them and use them for the sacrifice. Or they're going to get burned anyway, right? It's in their mind, it's win-win, right? I get rid of the animals they don't like. I fulfill the sacrifice. It's all good, Right? And God says, why don't you give that animal to your governor, right? Would he accept it? Then he goes, naturally, why should I? So quite quickly we say, yeah, we're supposed to come with our first. We should seek his favor. Do it his way. And the last one is, and the reason I review these points this morning, is the last one was heed his rebuke. And see, God is continuing in this idea of a rebuke, and he's focusing upon the priest. And we seek elements where... Um, you know, God is the nation is suffering. The people are suffering because the priests are kind of doing what they want. 
They're going through the motions. They're not heeding God's discipline. And the first part here is, is basically the warning, right? If God is going to discipline us, if we're going to grow in this, if we're going to learn something about this, this leads to my first point. It's, it's the Lord's merciful warning. God is giving them a warning. In essence, we know they're not going to fulfill it because we read the passage. We know what he's going to do. But in verses 1 through 4, we see the Lord is giving them a warning. And it simply says, right, And now, O priests, this commandment is for you. So we know he's talking to, right? If you will not hear and if you will not take it to heart to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I will curse them already because you do not take it to heart. God goes on from there and saying, because this is their mindset, because this is who they are, and because they're not heeding to God's uh, law and following it, he says, behold, I will rebuke your descendants and spread refuse on your, on your faces and refuse on your solemn feasts. And one will take you away with it. And then you shall know that I have commanded this to you. Right? And then he shifts gears from there and he goes on. But here's this warning. And he says, look, if you're not going to change your ways, if you're not going to be serious about this, I'm going to do something to you. Right? There's the warning. I don't know about any child who hasn't had a, a moment where a parent says, look, right? either change your ways or there's going to be consequences. Right? How many have had those moments? Okay, that's right. Um, and so he says, right, he comes to this, this warning, he says, and now he's continuing on, O priests, this is the commandment I have to you. If you're not going to listen to me, if you're not going to hear me, if you're not going to take this to heart, if you're not going to glorify my name, this is what I'm going to do. And we learn quite quickly that disobedience provokes judgment, doesn't it? They're not following through, but it's amazing here. Remember what's happening in this, in this, what the priests are doing. They think they're doing it right. They're showing up and they're having sacrifices and they're, they're going through the motions. They're there, right? And God just says, look, it's better for what you're doing right now. It's better that you would shut the doors and scatter the people than, than to go ahead and have a, another sacrifice on the altar, right? And God, we learn something about God here, don't we? takes his word very seriously. He takes sin very seriously. He takes what he wants done very seriously. And yet today in the church, right, we're kind of calloused and we kind of just kind of go through the motions. And if that's us, we need to be snapped out of that. We need to heed this warning. And I believe it's a merciful warning for us. He says, if you will not hear, you will not take it to heart. If you're not serious about this, there are consequences. God is saying there needs to be a change of attitude, right? express this way, a new direction. You need to change if you're going this way. It needs to, to turn. Heart in the, in the Old Testament up until this point is used 814 times. And it's important for us that we don't simply equate emotion to this, right? We hear the word heart, take it to heart. It's not talking about our typical understanding of heart and emotion, right? I think in the Hebrew text, the expression take it to heart means to determine a course of action in response to one's knowledge or awareness of something. So what are we driving at? God is very serious. If you're not going to change your ways, there are consequences. That's what he's telling them. And he's saying that this involves your whole being, right? This morning, we can't just go through the motions. I know that there's times, I know there's difficulties, and I know sometimes we, we press through with worship, and sometimes worship is full of tears because of maybe there's brokenness and there's hurt. 
But God looks upon the inside, doesn't he? That's what he's getting at. You can't just be on the outside checking the boxes. Your walk with the Lord can't be something of legalism. Well, I made it. I'm here, okay? Give me some credit for this. Well, maybe in one sense we could say, good, you made it. But right, where is your heart? And the Lord is looking. So he knows us, right? The priests are going, hey, we've got, how did we defile you? How do we do this? And the Lord knows them. Of course he does. He's omniscient. It's one of his attributes. He's all-knowing. Right? And we see this. Well, you just, just so you know, a tree is, is, is uh, known by its fruit. Luke 6, 43 through 45. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, and do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We understand that, right? Here's the action. And yet they're saying, I don't, I don't get it. I'm gone through the motions. And the Lord is saying, I know who you are. I know how you've despised me. I know how you've made the table, the altar, a contemptible. I know how you've looked at all these things. And this is the warning. And in essence, we use the word for God, right? It's a rebuke. But for us, we must heed the warning. Because God goes on and says, I will curse you. I will curse your blessings, right? Take the office from you. I will uh, take the functions. I will take the rewards. You will no longer have this. And it's amazing what he says here, I think, because the first one in, in this is he simply, God will rebuke, and the rebuke is upon their descendants. Right? It's not just them, but it's their descendants. It is the application of how, how they, those that come after them. It is the, the application of those in, in who they lead and how the nation is sinning. How important is it for pastors today right, and elders to be serious with the Word of God? Otherwise, God's rebuke is going to come, and it's upon their descendants. That's what he's telling them. So we see this. This is in verse 3. And then the second one is God will spread refuse. That's kind of graphic, isn't it? There's a lot to this, right? We know when they brought the animals in for the sacrifices, of course, there was a pen holding them. So manure is attached to this word. But a little bit more so than this is the idea when they would sacrifice the animals according to the law, the, the entrails and those kind of things that came from the animal, they would take outside of the camp and burn them, right? Kind of disgusting, but that's what was happening, right? That's what they would do. And what is God saying? I'm going to take the sin offering because that's what it was. I'm going to take the sin offering that should be burned outside the camp and I'm going to rub it in your faces. In essence, he's saying, you are, right? You have been coming. You are this. This is what you are to me. You should be taken out because that's the next one. God will take them away. God is saying, I will take you out. You will be burned with the sin. I am going to, in essence, move you out. That seems kind of harsh as we come to this, but this has kind of been the pattern for the nation, especially for, for the king's. Right? If we look in 1 Kings 14, 7 through 10, where God is rebuking Jeroboam, he says this. Go tell Jeroboam, thus says the Lord God of Israel, because I exalted you from among the people and made you ruler over my people Israel and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you. And yet you have not been as my servant David, who kept my commandments and who followed after me with his all, excuse me, with all his heart to do what was right in my eyes. But you have done more evil than all who were before you. For you have gone and made for yourselves other gods and molded images to provoke me to anger and have cast me behind your back. 
Therefore, behold, I will bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam. And I will cut off from Jeroboam every male in Israel, bond and free. I will take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam as one takes away refuse. Tell it is all gone. See, God has done this over and over again. Those who will not follow, those who will not pursue, those who are breaking this. He says, you will become in essence like this. If you're going to treat me like this, I will give you over to this. That's the real warning. Here's the warning. You will become, in essence, what you worship. That's the real warning out of this. So if we're not serious about the Word of God and submitting to the Word of God and coming and saying, this is, this is it. We're not talking about you know, being perfect in all things. I realize we're saints and sinners, but as we pursue and the Word of God says this and we submit to it and we follow after it, we know that God is blessed. That's what He tells us out of the covenant with Levi. Here's what should be happening, but this is not what is currently happening. And so the Lord uses some very strong language. I use the word merciful, and I think He is very merciful with His church. But there comes a point, right, where the Lord... Maybe he takes his lampstand. In his book, War Against the Idols, Carlos Erie writes this. He says, The more men persist in worshiping God in their own way, the more he, God, abandons them to their own desires, and the greater their number of false ceremonies becomes. So here's the real wake-up. Here's the warning. We pursue and, and worship God on our own terms because ex that's exactly what they're doing in this passage. They're going through it and saying, this is good enough. That's a good enough sacrifice. This is good enough. And it's all on their terms. And this is the warning. And God says, if you don't come and do it my way. Right? Isn't that what he said about David to Jeroboam? You didn't do it. You didn't follow my commandments like my servant David. He did it my way. You're doing it your way. And God is saying, come. Here's the warning. Come. And if you don't, I'm going to turn you over. I'm going to let you go. I'm going to make you, right, become what you've been worshiping, and it's not me. This becomes a form of idolatry. Think on that for a moment. That's, in essence, what he's saying. This is no longer Christian. So we see this warning, and the Lord, you know, in, in the context of this, of this moment of discipline, he says, look, here's what you've been doing. This is the warning. Stop it, right? And then he, goes, this, and then he gives us a picture of what it should be. And I simply call this as my next point. I call it the Lord's faithful promise. It's in verses 5 through 7. He talks about the covenant, right? My covenant was with him, the one of life, excuse me, one of life and peace. And I gave them to him that he might fear me. So he feared me and was reverent before my name. The law of the truth was in his mouth and injustice was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and in equity and turned Away many from inequity. For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge, and people should seek the law from his mouth. For he is the messenger of God, right? Of, of, excuse me, the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Here's what it should be. The Lord says, Look, this is what's happening. Here's the warning. It needs to stop. You're going to become what, what you've been doing, right? I'm going to turn you over to this. But here is the promise. You know, what does God give to his church? He gives pastors and teachers, right? We're a New Testament church. He's given elders and, and those who would take seriously the word of God that it might be taught, right? That it might be preached. So God says, here it is. If you want to see things happening in your church, because there is a blessing attached to this and what he says is happening with, with Levi, we come, the first thing that they need to have, right? Your leaders, we're talking about the church in general, your pastors and, your, and the elders need to have a reverence for God, right? So he feared me. 
verse 5, and was reverent before my name. The idea of reverence, right? Psalms 111, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. And this is how important. God says, look, if you're going to do things my way, there's, good, there's things that should be happening. And again, we can see some, some, some parallels, not only in, in uh, the church life, but also in ours. These are things that should be happening in your life. And as we talked about this, do we reverence God? Do we take him seriously? Do we say, you know what? God's full of grace. I can just worship him any way I want and he'll be good with it. That's what they're saying right here. And God has harsh words for them, right? So we need to have reverence for God. True knowledge begins, right? With reverence and awe for the Lord. The second thing is, right? Churches and pastors, elders need to be committed. Of course, committed to God's word. It says in verse 6, the law of truth. Was in his mouth, and injustice was not found on his lips. Here we see the speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, right? It's a call to anyone who teaches. I think in the church today, this is, this is desperately needed. Come, what does the Bible actually say? And when we get into some of the attributes of God and some of the doctrines of God and some of the things that, that maybe we struggle with, that's good for us to struggle with as long as we keep coming back to Scripture. You know, God's, God's answer to the how have you loved us is doctrine. He points them to theology. He points them into the Word of God. You should know this. Paul's answer to, to the church in Corinth with all the things they were going through wasn't to say, hey, just stay away from doctrine. No, it was to press in even harder into to theology, press more into Scripture, press more into these doctrines that some people go, well, that kind of divides us. No, right? It divides the, the sheep from the goats. It does do that, right? But the sheep come and say, this is truth. We must heed it. We must listen to it. And the Holy Spirit has placed it in the Bible. We have a responsibility to it. Absolutely, we should come. We should be committed to God's Word. It must be preached. Because I think, and you'll probably agree with me here, once the Word of God is gone, we can make anything sound like truth. Anything can sound like truth. But once you stack it against Scripture, we see it for what it is. Also, how does God bless His church? Well, hopefully our, our pastors, our elders, have a godly character. Again, in verse 6, he says, He walked with me in peace. And equity, and equity, excuse me, and turned many away from inequity. All right, here we see the requirement is godliness. Right? Those who serve, those who teach, it's important to the Lord. We want God to come and to bless, then we must do it his way. We must follow after him. And the last one I have here is guard the truth. He says in verse 7, should keep knowledge, right? We should have knowledge, and people should seek the law from his mouth. And he's not talking about just, you know, random facts about Hebrew kings and those things. He's talking about specifically Malachi is addressing knowledge of God. We must know who God is and how someone comes to know this God through Christ. That's what he's saying. Is that preached? Is the gospel preached, right, in, in the church? Do we come and do we say, well, what else do you have for us? I've heard the gospel. What else do you have? We should always be preaching the gospel. You should get up every morning and preach the gospel to yourself. We need to hear how Christ loves us, how he has redeemed us, how he sets us right with this holy God who will not tolerate any sin. And yet through Christ and his righteousness, I stand redeemed. How is that? How is it that I stand redeemed and I go through this brokenness or this moment in life where I feel like he's so far away, but yet I know I know he's overcome the world. 
I know he walks with me. I know this. And I stress that, right? We know it. We know and we must hear that, right? We must hear the word preached. John 17, 3, Jesus in his prayer, what does he say? And this is eternal life, that they may know you. Speaking of God the Father, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, right? God the Son, whom you have sent. See, when these things are happening in the church, there is a wonderful outcome. What does he go on to say? That, that the ministry is blessed. So we can pat ourselves on the back? No, right? Far from it. But he says, and turned. What did he do as he followed with the Lord? He turned many from their iniquity. What happens when we preach the word of God? There are those who are contemplating sin. And the Spirit convicts them and they change their mind. I don't want to do that. There are those who are in sin. The Spirit convicts them and they repent of it. This is what happens when the Word of God is preached. When God ministers, there are those who turn. I think all of us would say yes. We desperately want to see people turn. Yes and amen. They turn back. Martin Luther, in his commentary on this passage, he says, This is a passage against those who hold the spoken word in contempt. The lips are the public reservoirs of the church, and them alone is kept the word of God. Unless the word is preached publicly, it slips away. The more it is preached, the more firmly it is retained. Reading it is not as profitable as hearing it. For the live voice teaches, exhorts, defends, and resists the spirit of error. Satan does not care a hoot for the written word of God, but he flees at the speaking of the word. This penetrates hearts and leads back those who go astray. How often in our churches, maybe the, the gospel is not preached, the word of God is not preached, his, the doctrine of God is not preached, his attributes are not preached, and what Christ has done and how he's overcome this world. You and I, all of us, need to hear that. We need to heed, right, God's discipline. We need to hear when, they, when, when God calls this sin and we must come and repent, that is good for us. God desires that we would turn from our iniquity. He has provided a Savior who has done something for you and I that we can never. Christ alone has overcome this world and all the brokenness in this world and all the pain, all the sorrow that you might be experiencing today and your worship might be full of tears, but there is a Savior who walks with you through it. He's a mighty God. He says this, right, in the context of his discipline, he says, this is the warning, right? This is what I'll do. And then he says this, this is how it should be done. And when this is done, right, when God is glorified and he is preached, there are lives who come to know him. And the saints, right, who are struggling with sin turn from it. And God is glorified. Isn't that what we want to see? Yes, we want to see that. And this lads, excuse me, leads to my last point here. And we see that they don't turn. And I just simply called the Lord's, you know, in, in the context of discipline, this is the Lord's righteous indictment. He says, but you, right, here's the but, here's the contrast. You have departed from the way. And again, he's speaking to the priests. You have caused many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenants of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, I also have made you contemptible and base before all the people, because you have not kept my ways, but have shown partiality in the law. I have made you contemptible. They have departed from the way. They were unable to make the change, right? This is what's happening. They don't they have a desire to repent. So God gives his indictment. 
And this is, goes on, what I was saying earlier. We, in essence, God turns us over to what we've been worshiping. You become what you worship. In 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 15, it says, And they rejected his statutes and his covenant that he made with their fathers and his testimonies, which he had testified against them. They followed idols, became idolaters, and went after the nations who were all around them concerning whom the Lord had changed them, excuse me, had charged them that they should not be like them. And here's the real warning for the church, right? When God's word is not preached, when it is not heeded, when we don't surrender to his discipline, he kind of gives us over and says, okay, this is it then. Here's what you become. And here we have the priests who were, who were basically respecter of persons, right? They would give different uh, law to those who were um, you know, if they were rich, maybe they wouldn't be as harsh on them in, regard, in regards to that. And so they were showing partiality. And it's quite simple. The point is if the church desires to favor man, it will not receive favor from God. When I was in Denver, I, was, I, I came across a book by G.K. Bill. It was simply called, You Become What You Worship. And his thesis in the book was this, What you revere, you resemble either for ruin or restoration. And that was taken out of, out of Isaiah. And he wrote through the, the Isaiah was called to prophesy to the nation of Israel and said, go and, and tell them, even though you have eyes, you don't see, and ears, you have ears, but you don't hear. And he was talking about how they, they were worshiping idols and they became just like their idol. That was the discipline. That was what God did to them. God turned them over. And, and in essence, the nation has eyes, but they don't really truly see him. They have ears, but they're not listening to his word. They have hands, but they don't function. And he uses that, and he brings it right over into the, to the New Testament, right? When Beale's talking about this, and he says, man, today we don't have a problem with physical idols. The, the idol is us. And we come to church, and we worship on our terms. We say, this is what we should be doing instead of what the Lord commands. With Christ, Christ said there's no neutrality, right? You're either reflecting Christ, or you're reflecting the world. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 30, He who is not with me is against me, and who does not gather with me scatters abroad. So I think with Paul, we must consciously battle against the world's ungodly ideas that seem to creep into the church. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3-5, through 5, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our, war, our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And it's quite simple. I came across this, really, in essence, a definition of, of, of worldliness from David Wells in his book, God in the Wasteland. He says, worldliness is whatever any culture does to make sin seem normal and righteousness to be strange. What a great indicator. Sin has become normal. Righteousness seems strange. It's exactly what is happening in this text. God is giving them over. You know, in the beginning of, of Malachi chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, God tells me, they ask the question, how have you loved us? And he says, was not Jacob Esau or Esau Jacob's brother? I have I've loved one. I have chosen one. I have hated the other. 
And God is saying, I have disciplined one. He disciplined Jacob. That's his love. He disciplines those whom he loves. And it gave him his law, right? But the other, he did not. And the Edomites became, they were very wicked. So God naturally says he hates wickedness. And we learn in our, in our own life, in our own walk, that God despises wickedness. He hates it. And so when he says, I love you, he comes with discipline and he guides us and he instructs us. And we must, when it comes to church, not yield to what the world says we should be doing. We must come and say, what does God's word say? What does God's word say? Let us follow that. You know, J. Gresham Machen, in his own day, he battled against the, what he called the liberals and their view of Scripture and how they were marginalizing Scripture in his book, Christianity and Liberalism. He says this, and I think it's poignant for today. He says, The greatest menace to the Christian church today comes not from the enemies outside, but from enemies within. It comes from the presence within the church of a type of faith and practice that is anti-Christian to the core. Would we not say that is true of what these priests are doing? God is saying, I am going to cast you out like the sin offering. You are so far removed from what I desire. You're not following my commands. You're not doing any of it. Do not heed the warning of what is happening. Right? If you'll not come and say, look, here's how my covenant with Levi. I am a faithful God. I began a good work. I'll be faithful to complete it. But you must come back and revere my name. And if you do not revere my name, the nation will know who I am. They will fear me. And God will come and he will take his lampstand from his church. We see that in Revelation chapter 2, right? He's going. And it's important for the church to come and say, this is what God's word says. Let us come and, and submit to the authority of it and follow it. This is good for us to heed his blessing because the question quite clearly we could ask each other, are you more comfortable with the world? Has sin become a normal thing? And has righteousness become strange? Is that a strange thing? That's a wake-up call to all of us. The Bible calls us to come and conform to Christ in Romans chapter 8. So we could ask that question as well. Are you being conformed to Christ? Are you pursuing your holiness? Are you growing in your purity? Are you following after God's commands? Are these things happening? And if they are not, it's time to say, Lord, what, what needs to change? Bring us to an attitude of repentance. Bring us to that moment where I would believe and know. Bring us to that moment where I can trust you and I can call upon you. I might follow after you. Let's pray together.